Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, Security Bridges faithful. Here we are once again. Oh my God. We're at the end of our 20s. This is it. We're about to turn the big 3 0 on our next episode. It's episode 29. And the last episode of the 20s. Yeah. It's <laughs> Y'all have been with me that long, 29 episodes, amazing guests. I hope you all didn't miss last week, because if you did, wow, you need to go find the recording right after this show is done and go watch it, go listen to the podcast, whichever you prefer. But God, just every week, I don't think it can get any better, and it keeps getting better. So excited to see you guys have joined us again today. Uh, really excited for yet another incredible guest on the show. And we are going to dig into some new territory we haven't really talked too much about before on the show. So without further ado, let me introduce our new guest. It's Meryl Vernon. Hey, Meryl. Hey. Good to see you again. This is so cool. I finally got you on my show. I'm excited about that. Um, let's start with just have you introduce yourself the way we do every show. Uh, just tell folks a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hi. Um, so I'm Meryl Vernon, also known as She Who Hacks. And um, I've been, uh, I'm an ethical hacker, uh, currently a red teamer and a purple team lead uh, supporting government uh, agencies. Um, I've only been in pen testing and offensive security for about three years. So I'm one of those people who rose very far, very quickly. And um, before I worked in cyber, I worked in social media marketing. So that is also one of the sticks that I have. Which is that new leaf, I think we're going to dig into a bit yes. on the show because, you know, there's, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I deride cybersecurity marketing sometimes, right? Like there's yeah. just some really bad practices out there. And, but before we do that, I want to dig into the technical stuff first, because I want to understand is your progression from marketing and we'll come back, like I said, to the marketing side, but I want to talk a little bit about what that's like, you know, kind of coming into cybersecurity in this day and age. There's a lot of people who want to do it. You've kind of navigated that field already. You've landed. And now I think you're in your second role in that space of doing, you know, more of the, the pen testing offensive style security work. Yeah. Um, I'm actually in my fourth role already. It's crazy. So yeah, just sorry. I, my whole system here just freaked out. I hope you can still hear me. I can still hear you. We're good. Okay. Wow. Oh, thank you, NVIDIA. NVIDIA was nice enough to install an update. Um, <laughs> right in the middle of the show. Love it. Oh, great. Well, in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about just what was that like? I mean, just kind of help give us a little bit of an origin story, how this happened. 
Yeah. Um, so when I decided to get into cyber, I, you know, I'd been working in marketing for over a decade already and it's my OG love. It always will be. But um, I had just kind of realized that there was nothing new to learn and I was kind of bored with the work I was doing. And I was like, I just want to go somewhere where the work is challenging every day, where like it's different every day, like every day there's some new creative thinking to do. Um, and I didn't know anything about like what the day to day working like, oh, you work in cybersecurity. What does that mean? So um, I kind of came in blind and I was like, I'm just going to do it until I hate it or I suck at it. If one of those two things happens, I'll just pick something else. But uh, neither of those two things happened. So I'm um, still here. Um, but it was definitely alluring because it's just one of those things where like people who are in the industry talk so easily about it and don't kind of realize what people don't know about what it is they're talking about. So I was definitely excited to come in and learn. And I realized it was actually a really great, really um, forgiving and open community. Everyone's down to help each other learn. Um, and there was a lot of crossover. Like I, as you know, when we met at Wild West Hacking Fest, um, I actually started to make a name for myself teaching cyber and hacker folks how to be better at the marketing because I did not realize how much those two overlap. But like there's a lot of overlap between cyber work and marketing work, definitely. Well, that kind of plays into like the whole point of this show, right? How do we talk to the business? Mm -hmm. And there is a certain amount of, I, 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 I've always hesitant to call it marketing because that tends to get a, a, a very visceral, visceral response from certain people, yeah. um, myself included sometimes. But it is that same type of thing. It's, it's understanding how to influence people, how to bring not only a message, but the right message to get it heard in the right way. And I feel like those are kind of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's where there would be a lot of overlap between what we do, what you do on a daily basis as a pen tester mm -hmm. and you know, what the skills you bring with you from marketing. Yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. I was gonna say influencing is the other word people hate, but like it, it really is true. Like when you work in security, you do have to influence other people. You have to get them to buy into your message and to want to lean into the the points that you're trying to make and tell them, you know, when you need more budget, when you need more resources, when you need a new tool, like that's you marketing and you're saying, this is where we provide value already. And this is how we could add even more or reduce attack surface even more if you were to give us more buy-in for this thing. So like the second I got into risk where I started before I started pen testing, the second I got into risk, I was immediately marketing. I was like, you know, based on this SOC 2, it'll increase our attack surface this much, our third party risk this much if we do business with these people based on these practices. So you take literal technical things and you have to give them an anchor to non-technical departments and people and make them understand the value and the risks in what we are doing in very technical roles. So I always tell red teamers, like if, if you're out there enjoying the cloud of mystery, like, oh, what's the red team doing? Who are they? Like, are they evil? Like, then you're doing it wrong because you should be you should be marketing yourself to other business um, business managers and other stakeholders in the company, and you should be telling them the value you provide. And if you don't know how to talk about your work, no one's going to give you permission to scale it. You're not and that's a, so that's an important thing you touch on too, because there is an element of almost that I guess clandestine, for lack of a better term, nature of hackers, right? And, and it comes from a real place, right? I mean, that's not just made up stuff. You know, I, no. I look back at where I started, you know, back on, you know, and, you know, my days, it goes back to IRC and, you know, some of that stuff from the early days of the internet. But we didn't know who each other were. We, we talked about what we did, but it was very, you know, we were fairly secretive about it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people see that in, you know, like even if all they've ever seen is the movie Hackers, which I 
you know, not my favorite movie either, people know, but. Um, Mr. Robot was pretty accurate. I actually paused it and looked at some of the code. I'm like, that actually looks like it would work, so. There were elements, but I mean, I mean come on, the, the singing virus sinking ships, like what no. the hell? <laughs> there are a lot of things I didn't like, but one of the things they really tried to capture was a lot of that kind of undertones of the hacker culture. Mm-hmm. And I think they did touch on a lot of elements. Now, did they hit everybody and every, you know, no, because myriads of different personalities right but they did touch on one of the major themes of that scene i think that's what people get attracted to yeah um it's definitely you know that that cloak and dagger aspect is definitely like a component of what we do certain tradecraft is meant to fly under the radar and test certain detections and and when offensive security frankly started it was not something that was widely accepted even even nowadays people are like you're going to do the pen test what are the exact ranges you're going to be pen testing who are the exact people you're going to be fishing what are your exact stop test conditions i'm like calm down i'm not going to dos the company at least not intentionally that's never my goal so you know that that was marketing we had to do like you you've seen this mysterious evil thing in movies and now we're telling you we're going to do it for the force of good, like Glinda the Good Witches. No, but we really are. So um, it's definitely an aspect of what we do. But a lot of what we do is like vulnerability validation and like detection, um, like really testing detective capabilities. So um, people don't need to fear hackers as much as they think they do. And that was even marketing that you have to do as a pen tester. Well, and, and that's that's a huge point, right? Because I've I've been involved in these conversations about this, right? Like the, the the change from being a, you know, just that curious hacker to someone who does it professionally mm-hmm. for a living paid by companies who want me to do it for good. Yeah. And, you know, I've had people who say like, you know, work for, you know, who aren't working for an organization said they're doing like bug bounties through, you know, pick your bug bounty Be- concentrator of choice, right? Yeah. And they always, you know, oh, well, that they don't have to worry about that. It's like, well, actually, you're wrong because it's all that safe harbor stuff that we start talking about with responsible reporting and such. It's when people fear pen testers that we see, you know, governors trying to make sure that people get prosecuted for using the F12 key. Yeah. And and that's the kind of thing where it's it's your responsibility as someone with those capabilities, with these skills to know what your like what the shared responsibility model is like, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? What is in scope for um, being ethical and what pushes me into black hat territory? So it's the kind of thing where it's like, um, you know, there's hackers sitting in jail because the city authorize them to pen test the like the county and the city and the county are two different entities so you need to know where proper authorization comes from um but i will say pen testers do love to run around and market through fear everything is a crit everything is on fire Every, this is super horrible if you don't fix this you're probably going to be zero day tomorrow it's like well i i don't think it's all that bad like let's let's stop conditioning people to fear our work fear our results or fear like that we're going to punctuate their failures with our testing and like make ourselves an ally. Like we don't care why the system is the way that it is. We're just here to help you fix it. Yeah. And you, you got to remember that at the end of the day, that's why they're hiring you, right? They're not hiring you to scare them, to tell you how awful the whole world is. They're, they're looking for information. Our job in information security, in my opinion, at least, whether you're in a, you know, a red teaming space, whether you're a blue teamer, wherever you fit in you know, some weird spectrum of all the people that are here, like our, our job ultimately is to educate. That is yeah. our job. All the technical skills, everything else, we are there to educate the rest of the business on how we're going to keep the business running, not get hacked, mm-hmm. hopefully, not get breached, hopefully, and what we do if we do get breached. Exactly. We're not, there, 
We're not there to say, this was such a good time. Thanks, I had so much fun breaking all your stuff. Here's a report with 80 findings, bye. That's not what you do. You need to sit down and tell them why it worked or what you were after and what you did with that information and how it furthered your objectives. Like, like help these teams out. Don't just throw a brick at them and say, that was so fun, thanks. Which, I mean, I love the job, right? Like, I mean, I did it for years. I'm actually sad that I'm not in the space anymore. Um, you know, but, you know, it, you have to have fun doing it. And you should. Like, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I don't want to tell anyone out there who has aspirations of getting into pen testing that it's not a fun-ass job to do. No. It's a joy. It is the best. It's also fun to say, hi, I'm Errol Vernon. I'm a hacker. Right? Well, that's fun. <laughs> see, this is the thing I've told people. Like, I remember when that was my primary job was, you know, people would ask, what do you do? You say, well, I'm in cybersecurity. Well, what, what the hell does that mean? That you know, and it's like, well, okay, how do I explain it? When I was a pen tester, it was super easy. Like, yeah, I, I hack people's systems and tell them how I did it so they can fix it before the real bad guys do it. Exactly. I mean, that that's cool. But that's I think. You know, also when I was in consulting, you know, the best consultants were the ones who also could figure out how to put everything they did into effective communications in their reports. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, in fact, I tell people, I'm like, you know, don't get me wrong. Hacking is cool and it's fun. And like when you when you decrypt the password and when you find the thing you're looking for, it's like the best feeling ever. But even pen testers, I'm like, I'm out there to dispel a few myths for you guys. I'm not just literally hacking all day like. I'm hacking maybe 20% of my time. Most of my time is spent writing test plans, socializing test plans, defending test plans, writing the report, delivering the report, outbriefing it to several different audiences. Like there is a lot of non-hacking activities that go into being a full-time hacker. Um, which again, yeah. is more marketing because you're talking to people and you're socializing your results and you're helping them understand your methodology and the impact. Like if you can't drive home an impact, you're you're not doing your job as a... So I'm going to let our folks out there in a little secret. If you're looking to get into consulting and you're looking at an organization you're interviewing, ask them how they bill your time. Because what you just described is something really important. It will tell you about the value that that organization actually brings to their customers. If they are not building in billable hours for you to write your reports, run away. Yeah. Because you're going to have expectations that you have to be a certain amount billable and you will have to spend that time. So if they're not billing you for, they're not billing for your time to do that and you don't have that as billable hours, you're being expected to do that in a situation where you're probably working on another pen test at the time. Yeah. Right? Don't flat rate yourself. Don't say I'll do all this work for this much money. And then that work might end up taking you a lot longer than you'd time budgeted. And now you can't even get compensated for that difference. Like, so practical advice right here, speaking right from experience. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and it all comes back to this marketing thing, right? So we, we talked about that a little bit and, you know, how we market the information we're trying to bring, bring the right message. Now thinking on a grander scale, like how have you seen that play out from cybersecurity as a whole, not maybe just pen testing, but, you know, like social media, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, social media is definitely, it, it's one of those things where um, 
you almost can't quantify the kind of beast that it is. I will say like when I started, um, again, I was a nobody three years ago, social media is the kind of vehicle that has enabled me, someone who knew nothing about cyber when I wanted to be in cyber, but knew everything about social media marketing to propel myself, to build myself a brand and an image and have that socialized and work on my behalf. Um, and that's what and has enabled me to, you know, be the go-to expert that I am. Um, but as far as like the work and the results, I mean, like it works two ways. On the one hand, if you're doing a great job, if you're providing a lot of value, we're going to talk about it quickly. But if you are out there messing up <clears throat> Twitter, we are all going to talk about that really quickly as well. And we all have a lot of opinions. And because we're safe behind a keyboard, we're going to share those opinions in a very unfiltered manner. So it's social media is like its own special third party risk beast. Like you, you need <laughs> a good handle boots on the ground on your social media. I have never heard it described that way before. And I am so, so <laughs> holding on to that one. That is amazing. <laughs> but, but it's true though, right? I mean, it's, I, I, social media and the somewhat, you know, the, the disconnected nature of being behind a keyboard. I won't say anonymity because there's not a lot of anonymity anymore. No, we can pretty much attribute any comment to any person. I mean, you, you can, you know, there's a few people who've cultivated still very anonymous identities, but that's hard. And mm -hmm. it, you have to be really committed to it. And I don't think most are, but you know, it, it is going to open up criticism. And people feel more empowered to criticize and will be more direct. So do you feel like that kind of holds people back from maybe wanting to share them as well? Yeah. When I was first starting out, I'd want to like make a post about something I learned. Like, hey, today I learned that like on port, you know, whatever, port 53, like DNS protocols and whatever. And I was like, is that the right port? Did I just say that wrong? Are they going to eviscerate me in the comments because I said that wrong and I sound unintelligent? And I, and I was like, you know, I'm not going to post it. It's not worth it. It's not worth the stress to post it. Um, so it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know, done is better than perfect. Like you really do have to put yourself out there. You're putting yourself out there. You're opening yourself up to praise and criticism. Um, and uh, how you handle that criticism, how you handle correcting mistakes that you make and, and owning certain things and taking responsibility for certain things is a big piece of it. Like you're trying to build trust with someone you've literally never talked to. Like we were online friends for years before we got to meet at Wild West Hack and Fest. Actually, not really. I was just your fangirl. But anyway, um, you're, you're building a trusted relationship. And so people need to buy into you and they need to see that you're a human and see like all and like, don't just be like, oh, I'm so perfect. I've never made a single error or made a tweet that I regret. Just say, I messed up. I'm so sorry about that. I'm going to do better. Thanks for bringing my attention to it. Thanks for keeping me honest. Like how you handle things very publicly now is going to like, it'll, it'll, impact sales. It'll impact revenue. It'll impact partnerships. Like it's, it's a big deal out there. Oh, and you bring up a really good point. And it's something that I learned, I think fairly early on in my, my life on Twitter is, you know, when you make a mistake, there's so much more credibility to be had in saying, Hey, guess what? You know what guys, I fucked up. I yep. said something stupid. I said something dumb. You know, I apologize. I, you know, I'm really, I don't mean to be a bad person. It was just a, a dumb thing I did versus, you know, what the people that we see get blasted the most are the ones who insist on doubling down, trying to either, you know, justify what, you know, interpreted. I don't mean it that way. Like, well, th and that's the other one, right? It's either I'm going to justify this no matter how wrong it clearly was. And I'm going to keep changing the argument until something sticks. Or it's the, well, that's not what I meant. You know, I'm going to gaslight the hell out of you and tell you that I never said that kind of thing. 
And, you know, that's that right there is really important because think about it. If instead of a person, that's an organization. You guys are just keeping PR managers employed if that's if that's if that's the strategy that you use, because you're just making more messes that someone has to come in and clean up for you. And honestly, you can destroy your brand so much quicker than you can ever repair it, like exponentially faster, easier to go down than it is to bring yourself back up. So um, but by the way, companies, you guys can do this, too. If you roll out a feature and realize it didn't work, you roll out <laughs> subscription based check marks and realize that that was it's <clears throat> it, then you can just roll, repeal it back and say, sorry, we rolled that out. We tried it. Y'all hated it. We heard you. We listened. You spoke, we listened, we're fixing it now. And like the public will literally just go back to being happy like they were. Um, but yeah, people just want to double down on negative messages and actions that are poorly received. And that is like social media suicide. No, and, and you completely disarm that when you apologize, right? Yes. Because if you come out and you actually make a you know legitimate apology and say, or you know, an acknowledgement that you did something wrong. Anyone now who wants to come and keep braiding you over the coals for it, well, now they look like the asshole. They right? do. It's the same in person. If someone is yelling at you, they're like, how dare you do this? Do you missed this. This was a ball that you dropped. And you're like, you're right. I'm sorry. They're like, what? They're like, you're right. I'm sorry. I fucked up. I dropped that ball. That was completely on me. Yeah. Bar and none. Sometimes you may not even fully agree with them. Like, maybe you don't feel like you were totally in the wrong. But apologize, at least for the part that you did. And it disarms them. You're right. They're kind of get thrown off. They're like, wow, I was going to eviscerate you. And now, now I feel bad. Yeah. No look like the jerk. And I mean, <laughs> you'll still get them once in a while, right? Like I had somebody who, you know, I did everything I could to give the most genuine apology I ever could, but you know, they picked apart every word of the apology and, you know, still wanted to launch into me. And then it's, that's where you have to, and this is easier said than done, but have that kind of confidence. Like, yeah, you know what? Everybody else here can see what's going on. And I know I apologize. I did all I could. And you're the one now looking the fool because you're tearing me apart after I apologized. Every conflict, whether interpersonally or on social media, comes to a point where like you either want the situation to be right or you're stuck on being right. And if you're right, that that person will never be able to make it up to you. But if you just want the situation to resolve, like you just have to ask yourself, what's your ideal outcome? Yeah. I deal with that all the time in security. I'm like, OK, you're mad. What is the ideal outcome? The ideal outcome is for us to be on a better working rapport. So even though I don't, like you said, don't entirely agree, I don't think this was my mess up, but you know what? I'm just gonna see if I can foster us there because that's gonna serve me longer than sticking it to you that I'm right and you're wrong. And it's it's hard to have that confidence sometimes. So now steering it back, because we kind of got down a rabbit hole there, which was yeah. a good one. But we were talking about, you know, people who don't want to post things because, you know, they're worried that they're gonna look dumb or something yeah. like that. And I'll tell you this, I, I found a unique, I'm not sure how many people do this. I'm sure there's way more than I, I know. Do testament comments? Well, I will say something that intentionally I know is dumb. Oh. Because I want to get people talking and then I can be like, yeah, see, that's exactly where I was headed with this. Uh. I, then I make my point. And in fact, I've, there's a, I've got a thread going right now on that elephant platform. <laughs> um <laughs> That is exactly that, right? And it's and what I it, it, it takes a lot of self confidence to do it because you know you're gonna have people who are like, boy, is she that dumb? Well, I'm obviously not that dumb. I mean, I've, I've been doing this a few years, so I'm, I'm confident and I can feel that. But what I like is it gets other people talking about the things I want to hear them talk about, right? I want to hear their idea a little bit, yeah. And so, you know, 
I, I, that's what I try to tell people when they ask questions. I'm like, don't think about your question just as, you know, I need an answer to this, or I want to share this idea, see the value in it, that it makes a conversation happen. Yes. And that's honestly rewarded on social media, like any of the platforms. If you spark a conversation, they love that. They will push that to the top of everyone's feeds because it keeps people on the platform engaging in that conversation. Like we are back and forthing in real time, even though we're not. So um, that that's that's copy editing. Like that's like that's honestly marketing your message. Like you want to say something, but you're like craft it in a way that rather than you giving people the point, help people get to the point on their own and help people discuss and bring up opposing points of view. That's like that's a great strategy. I've actually never thought of that. So. It, like I said, I mean, it takes confidence and I have the privilege of, again, a long career to point back to. I've got a, you know, a lofty title and whatever, all that jazz that like, yeah, I, I can feel confident that like, okay, clearly I know at least something of what I'm doing. I never totally feel like I know what I'm doing, but that's another story. Um, but I think it's important because going back now, even a little further to what we were talking about is the value that social media has in how we can connect to non-security people and get a message out there. Yeah. Um, actually, one of the uh, when the first messages that I ever had, most pe of the people consuming them were not security people. Like now I know how to speak to security people and to market certain messages. But um, originally it was just being consumed by a lot of people because I just made it so approachable. Um, so that's definitely one strategy. And I'll just wrap up the last point before we completely move on by saying that if you are afraid to put yourself out there, because you are putting yourself out there if you post anything at all, um, you can always warm test it somewhere else. If you don't want to make your own post, you can go to the comments of someone else's post and just kind of test it there in the comments, comment to a few people, see what the response is, if it's negative, if it's positive, if it's, if it's um, you know, a healthy mix of both and sparking conversations, and then you can choose to refine it and post it on your own. It's a good strategy. And honestly, it's a great strategy if you're like thinking like you want to build up, you know, followers or anything like that, too, because interaction on social media, this is, this is, I mean, tell me I'm wrong if I'm wrong, but like, at least I know in my, my case where I wasn't really trying to build follower count, I never really cared about follower count. And so when people ask me, you know, how did you get there? It's like, well, it's kind of by accident, but I think what I think it was is two things. I was genuine and I interacted with a lot of people. It's yeah. the magic of social media is I could interact with some of the biggest names in cybersecurity at a point when no one in this industry knew who the hell I was. Yeah. That's, that's how I got here too. Um, I didn't, wasn't set out to build a follower account either, but I found that like the more value I gave away and the more I was like, Hey, I learned this today. So if you're stuck here, or if you're Googling all the things and coming up with conflicting answers, this is what I went with. And this is why, and people just shared that for me. And like, it just brought in people who cared to consume that kind of message. So, um, you know, by the way, people who are trying to build follower accounts are insanely jealous of yours. I'll just let you know, but, um, I don't get married as someone who came from a marketing background. I don't get married to my follower accounts. And I'll tell you why that should only be one leg of your marketing strategy because social media platforms can disappear tomorrow. They ebb and flow. They're not evergreen. They're very feast and famine. And if you are someone who depends completely on monetizing the audience that you have, well, I mean, TikTok could go away tomorrow. Like they're talking about completely banning TikTok. So people who have a large TikTok following and don't have that following anywhere else, like on Twitter or on Instagram or something else, they're going to be really hurting in a few months if that happens. Um, so your 
messaging and your product and your value and it should be evergreen and it should have multiple facets to it. Like if my Twitter went away tomorrow, people would still know who I am and still know what I do because I build a lot of personal relationships. Like it's the emphasis is on personal relationships, which you only get when you let people get to know you and you bother to comment back, honestly. Yeah. I felt wicked cool when you commented back. I was like, Alyssa's talking to me. This is the best day ever. Um, so like, that's the power you have as like an influencer, even if you're an accidental influencer. Well, and that's, I mean, that's the value of, and I've said this uh, probably a few hundred times before, but that that to me is the one value in follower account. Like it does, it's not, it's not a validation to me that like I'm smart or whatever else or that people like me. It's follower account is only important to me because it means that I have a platform. It means that I have people to speak to and why that's important is it means I can use that platform to help other people in the industry. Yeah. And that, it's, that's a I into. it's a resource for sure. Yeah. I mean, so it, it's not without value, but don't, Unfortunately, all too often it gets turned into, oh, well, they have a lot of followers, therefore they're obviously a big name, or, well, they have a lot of followers, so I don't trust them at all, which, you know, maybe that's valid too. But, you know, I, but, you know, so we're seeing a situation right now, like you mentioned, right? Like you mentioned TikTok. We also, Twitter. Twitter. You know, we, we've had this person oh, Twitter. who took over Twitter and decided to make a lot of really seemingly ill-fated decisions thus far dumb choices you made some dumb choices bro i mean i'm trying to be nice but no i agree (laughs) but but so it's resulted in kind of a little bit at least of an exodus of you know security people at least from the platform to go elsewhere and obviously you know news stories were on it pretty fast that mastodon saw a huge influx of people uptick yeah that's what i'm saying like social media platforms are fluid um, you know, Facebook or not Facebook, MySpace used to be a thing and now that's completely gone. Like um, Vine used to be a big one and now that's completely gone. Like these might not be around forever. Um, so like, don't depend on those. Always have them available. That's super nice. But um, yeah, we did see a major, well, we are seeing a major exodus still. I don't think, I don't think it'll ever truly die, but security people are fiercely loyal people. Like if they have a product they love, they used at one company and they go somewhere else, they'll try to get that same product because they like using it so much. So um, when you destroy that trust and that loyalty and you do something that is really not well received, again, stop doubling down on the dumb shit that you did. Just take it back and say, you're sorry. Or they're like, fine, we'll leave. We're out. Bye. How much impact will it have? Probably not a lot, right? On Twitter, if you, I mean, if you look at the grand scheme of things, the, you know, 200,000 some odd, I, I forget where I saw that estimate of cybersecurity people that are on Twitter, right? That's only a 10, that's only 10% of the entire cybersecurity population yep. that, you know, ISC Square estimates. And that 2.5 million, so I guess it's even less than 10%, you know, 2.5 million worldwide cybersecurity people that ISC Square says we have. I mean, think about the minimal, I mean, that's a fraction of a percent of the entire world population. Yeah, so, and you know, Twitter's like, oh, 2,000 of you want to leave, 2,000 of you want to leave, we don't care. Like their yeah. daily active users are astronomically high. Right, um, I mean, when you're talking in, I, I think there are you know, hundreds of millions or maybe even billions. Like, yeah, the, the 200,000 InfoSec people could all up and leave tomorrow. They're probably not going to sneeze. Nope. But, where it does matter, I think, is the advertising. 
because Ooh, advertisers like seem to have picked up on the fact that people don't want to be on this platform right now. No, they don't. And the thing with uh, Twitter ads, this is a little nugget for you marketing folks. Um, Facebook ads are very, very specific. You can get down to age groups, specific towns, geographical locations, interests people have. On Twitter, you basically have the option to market to a certain age group, and that's pretty much it. Like their demographics are not very well defined. So when you advertise on Twitter, you're kind of throwing the dart at the board anyway and just hoping something sticks. But like, I wouldn't waste my ad spend on Twitter right now. I'd wait for things to either rebound quite a bit um, or I would just, again, I hope you have a multi-pronged strategy and I hope you've got something else you can do. I really do. So I would love to dig a little bit more into that side of marketing. The And and we can, we can I, I realize we're wall, wallowing in some swampy waters with that I one. Know. <laughs> because it, it is something where we see, we see you know, good and bad from cybersecurity organizations, right? Let's, let's, let's think vendors, you know, you, you see some of the best, but then I look at my email on a daily basis and it is such a shit show. And I'm wondering like, what are these people even doing? They're not so, doing, they're not doing the basics and they're not listening. You're not listening to us. People like you, people like Naomi are out there telling you, this is what works. This is how you get to me. This is not how you get to me. You don't get to me with a cold email where you like didn't even care to read my profile. Like if I get one more offer in my inbox for a customer success manager, I'm gonna go blue in the face because that's clearly not what I do. Like you didn't even read anything about me. Um, like I feel like cyber marketing firms just assume if they put the product out there, it'll just work for itself or like, or they get desperate. They're not seeing the revenue they projected. And then they just hire a salesperson who's like, I can sell anything. I could sell ice to an Eskimo or sand to, you know, sand to someone living in the desert. But like, your sales tactics don't work. You're not listening to your audience. You're not doing the basics. You're not understanding what they need and, and tailoring messaging or products to the needs they have. It's driving all of us crazy. So I love what you just said because it just it hit me now that when we think about, you know, so in cybersecurity, we, first of all, we love to beat on the vendors and, and pick on them for crap like that. And, and recruiters. And absolutely rightfully so, in my opinion, right? Like there are some really awful, awful, awful. I share them on Twitter all the time. You know, some of the horrible emails I get where it's very clear they didn't spend two seconds, you know. Um, and in fact, I do some things in intentionally with some of my various profiles to make sure I can tell that very early too. But as we complain about that, what you just said brings to mind the fact that are we as cybersecurity professionals hearing our customers or our potential customers, the executives, the board, the, you know, our own leadership. Yeah. And so if we're going to judge, maybe we need to be thinking about how do we do our own job of marketing? Like we started this show talking about, you know, how are we bringing the message to those people who are not cybersecurity people and understanding their needs. It's that that's absolutely a, a valid piece of it. Um, I will say I, I do think I'm allowed to hate on some people a little bit because I do try to practice what I preach. I don't market through fear, uncertainty and doubt like a lot of red teamers do. I do make it a point to like my first few weeks at an org, I reach out to a lot of people. I just introduce myself. I say, I'm new to the OFSEC team. Would you just like to have a coffee chat? I'd love to talk about my background and learn about you and see if maybe 
the output from my team can be beneficial to your team. Um, and I'm building relationships. Like everyone's like, like, how do you get so many podcasts and how do you get so many collabs and how do you, and I'm like, honestly, very little of what I do is like business oriented talk. We're not talking for hours about like deals we can do. I'm getting to know you as a person and I am figuring out where we might align on things. We'll spend like 50 minutes of an hour discovery call talking about our families and our hobbies and travel. And then at the end, I'm like, by the way, do you want to do a blog together? They're like, yeah, just email me. I'm like, cool. Bye. Like we need, we don't put, we don't put the people aspect in enough of that. And as cyber folks, we're like, oh, you must be concerned with the tech. You must be concerned with the finding. You must be concerned with the syntax, the binary or the whatever. And it's like, no, these are still people doing this technical work. And like, I know it's hard for us because we're technicians and we hate it, but we need to build those relationships and build genuine relationships, not, not superficial ones. Um, and that's where all the value added work and, and the better results and the cohesiveness is going to come from. And in a business setting, I mean, I can also replace the people with business, right? Yeah. I mean, because I feel like, and this is this is my mantra, hell, this is why this show exists. Mm -hmm. How do you understand what the business's needs are and craft your message to support that? I mean, I can run out there and say, critical vulnerability, critical vulnerability, fix it, fix it, fix it. And they're like, well, guess what? Yeah. That's running on 10 year old software that we can't replace right now because you know what? It makes a stack of money for us. And what am I going to say? Shut it down? Nope. No. Because yep. if I did, I'm the one that's going to get shut down. Yeah. Those are the people with the answers. Like it's called market research. Just go talk to people and have conversations and figure out like, why wouldn't this work for you? If I was to recommend this, why would that be a good or a bad idea? Oh, I'll tell you why that's a stupid idea. Yeah. Great. Tell me so I can change what I'm doing. Like as a pen tester, when I start, when I was uh, pen testing, mostly web applications, I'm like, I don't want to just write recommendations that make no sense. Like a developer is going to look at this and be like, I'm not going to go through a million lines of code and fix this everywhere. That's completely unrealistic. So I was like, help me understand how to write realistic things you can actually do to move the needle, like surrounding this finding. And they're like, this would be a more realistic ask. I'm like, great, I'll do that. Like, I'm happy to tailor what I'm giving to set you up for success. Because if I say the only way to fix this is if they change all this and leadership's like, why haven't you done that? I'm setting them up for failure because... There's no way the resources can handle that. So again, it's like, yeah, understanding your audience, talking to the business, talking to the customers and figuring out how we can help them get where we want to be together. And here's the, here's what I see as kind of like a crux of this issue, or at least one of the pillars of it. I think we as cybersecurity people have a tendency sometimes because we have been kind of the mysterious ones. Like we understood this weird thing that nobody else understood. And so I think we kind of got lulled into this sense that we were somehow of in, you know, some superior intellect or something, and we didn't have something to learn from the business. And that's a huge mistake because, yeah. you know, I, I think we tend to, and I've seen this in certain people in particular, kind of downplay the value of the knowledge that it takes to do that side of things. Like we, we treat it like, oh, well, anybody could run the business. But to do the cybersecurity thing, we have to be this big, mysterious expert. And if you're not willing to say, hey, I need you to teach me about some things that I don't understand, which is how does our business run? That that creates a problem. Would you agree? Uh, I would absolutely agree. If you think that security can survive without the business or that the business can survive without security, like and that we're not symbiotic, you're doing it wrong already. 
Um, one of the best things you can do as a security folks, because like you were saying, like we're in security, we love security and we love the technical findings. And we're like, I figured out this really complicated thing. Do you want to hear it? They're like, no. You know, so it's like, you have to just like realize how we need to come down a few levels, how we need to make it relatable. And um, I love going to people and saying, I'm so sorry, I'm completely uneducated in this area. Please help me understand. Like, and I will try to do my job better as a result. But like, people are happy to educate and like talk about their work. We love talking about our work. Business managers love talking about their work. And everyone who thinks they could run a business tomorrow, I know you guys don't understand marketing. I like I know that already. And that's a business function that not anyone can just step into. Like every there's a science to pretty much every function of a business, from customer retention to finance to audit to marketing. It's it's all all experts. So just treat them like the experts they are. Yeah. You're an expert in one field. And if you want to understand more about your business, I'll tell you what, go to one of their industry conferences sometime. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I, I, well, I say this from experience because it just happened to me. Like, you know, it was it two weeks ago or last week or whatever the heck it was. I, I mean, I found myself at a, a corporate restructuring conference. Okay. Now I'm, I'm speaking at this conference and yeah, it was kind of cybersecurity related, but Having to, you know, first of all, just being surrounded by a bunch of lawyers and folks like that, you know, it was intimidating. I didn't know anything about that business, really. You know, I mean, I know what, you know, the average Joe on the street knows, but obviously they know a lot more about it than I know. And hearing them talk about concepts and hearing them talk about how they approach, you know, these different things and what the, 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 what's important problem areas are. Yeah. What. So, I mean, is that something you've been able to leverage as well? Yeah. Um, honestly, when you go to a cyber conference, you're, you're just another cyber professional. Like we're all cyber professionals. It's not really that special. But like if you go to one of your industry conferences, like if you work in insurance, go to an insurance conference. If you work in healthcare, go to a healthcare conference. When they find a cyber professional who's like, tell me what cyber means to me. Like, I know that we need to be concerned, but I don't understand it. I'm like, this is what you need to be concerned with. People love to ransomware you guys. People love to do this to you guys. Be on the lookout for this. And you start breaking it down for them. Then they get really excited. And they're like, now I feel like some gladiator who's helping protect my company from the evil hackers. Um, and they are so excited to have you there. And you're unique. You're someone with a unique expertise that they can't just throw a rock and, like you said, find another lawyer, find another doctor, find another insurance adjuster. Um, and they love to cross-educate. And that's, again, you're like, oh, now I know what your what you think of security is to your business and i know how to tailor the education gaps now i know where we need to focus so we are just about down to the end here but since we've been talking marketing i want to talk about really quickly a project you've got going on you have your own show that you are co-hosting i do the cyber queens cyber queens yes tell us more so the Cyber Queens was actually born out of the need for uh, more diversity in cyber. I think, um, you know, most of the women that I know and uh, a lot of the professionals that I talk to were mid-career pivots into cyber. And they come from such unique backgrounds. And every time you do, you bring in unique perspective. Like one of the reasons I'm so good at adversarial mindset and like so good at creative thinking at, in pen testing is because of the experience I gained working in customer service and marketing. Um, I love that for us. I think we need it. I think diversity is going to be the key to like, not all of us think the same. We aren't all looking at each other coming up with the same answer. So we started Cyber Queens to rebrand cyber as being this 
innovative, approachable, understandable industry, like an industry that people should want to be in and not in, like a like a destination, not a, not a side stop. So um, we're aiming it at the Gen Zers, um, the people in high school and college. We want to inspire them to want to seek technical careers, build technical skills, learn these things early on so that when they show up in the workforce, which they're going to do in a lot of numbers in the next five years, um, we have a whole brand new talent pool of people to pull from and to put into cyber roles with us because we're losing the cyber war right now. <laughs> so. Um, so that was that's the mission of the Cyber Queens. We just want to evangelicalize a lot more people into having a passion for security and feeding those technical interests that they may have, um, because a lot of us have have them, you know, ridiculed out of us. It's not cool to be a nerd when you're younger. It's it's not cool to have an interest in these things. But it is so cool as an adult. Look at us. I think we're two of the coolest cats I know. So, um, you know, that that's that's the aim of the Cyber Queens at the end of the day. Cool. So where can people check it out? Uh, they can check it out cyberqueenspodcast.com. We're on all the major platforms as well. And uh, we do also post to YouTube for those of you who want to see us talk about cyber things. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, yeah, we are down to the end. Um, these things always seem to go by so fast because, like I said, every freaking guest I have is incredible. And you have not disappointed either, Meryl. Was, I knew this would be a good conversation and I loved it. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for letting me talk about marketing, my OG love. So not very many people let me let me delve into that too much. But uh, actually, I'm here at Cyber Marketing Con in DC, and I'm so stoked to be amongst my people. <laughs> I mean, we have to embrace the fact that marketing is as much a part of what we do as anything else. And that's, I mean, that's a perfect way to wrap this show up. I mean, I think that's been the theme today is understanding that, yeah, how we message what we say is as important as what we say. It is. And I just have to say, Alyssa does that so well, because despite the fact that she's got a mega follower count, what we call a mega follower count, she's still approachable. She is still someone who knows her people and her people know her. She's not like so far removed from her audience, like Kim Kardashian, who I'm sure never comments on a single thing. Um, but people love her anyway. So all I got to say is like, be genuine, be authentic <laughs> and it's, and success will come. That's how you, that's how you give, give unbridled value and be authentic about it. And like the good things will happen. That that's like the core of good marketing. No, it, it's not just the lighting behind me. Yes. My cheeks are really that bright red right now. So now that I've been completely flattered into embarrassment, but I appreciate it. So with that time to wrap things up. Thank you everybody for tuning in. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Uh, we've got plenty more coming. Uh, looks like we're going to take the week of Thanksgiving off. I think that's next week, isn't it? Yep. Cyber Queens are too. Go be okay. with your families. Yes. So there'll be no show next week, but then we'll be right back the week after that. We'll have another great guest. So, you know, if you miss us next week, hey, all the recordings are out there. All the videos are there. You know, the podcast for <laughs> this episode will be available in a few days. And log to ITSP Magazine. And check us out on your favorite platform. We'll be there. Thank you for listening and thank you for having me. It was so much fun. Awesome. Well, thank you, Meryl. And to everybody else, take care. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving for those of you here in the U.S. For those of you listening abroad, well, sorry, I'm, I'm you're subject to my my home's uh, holidays in this case. So I won't have a show for you next week, but we'll keep it going the week after. So, all right, take care, everybody. That's all we got. Good time on Securing Bridges. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges Podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. 
If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.